Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every weekend, you'll hear from chefs and artisan food makers, farmers and authors, experts and tastemakers, all of whom are passionate about everything delicious. And I'm all about living the best life. So on this show, we dish on health and wellness, wine and cocktails, trends and more. So I hope that you will tune in. You can always find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. Plus you can find podcasts of shows you might've missed on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. But if you're hungry, let's get to the culinary conversation, shall we? July is National Ice Cream Month, rejoice. And so we all scream for ice cream, right? Uh, People have always loved frozen sweets. In fact, Alexander the Great adored snow and ice flavored with honey and nectar, the original snow cone. By the 17th century, in fact, it is said that cream ice was served at the table of Charles I, and ices began showing up at Paris cafes. We have a long history and a beloved one with the frozen stuff. Now, here in America, George Washington's records show that he was an avid fan of ice cream. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, who was a very passionate food lover, recorded his favorite recipe for vanilla ice cream using what was called, quote, good cream, unquote, egg yolks and sugar. His handwritten recipe is actually held in the Library of Congress collection. I love food history. Uh, But I do love National Ice Cream Month more. (laughs) I was raised with ice cream. I'll tell you, my mom is an ice cream fanatic. And there were many years when all the diet fads were going on, or maybe they still are, dependent upon your opinion. But we used to eat ice cream for breakfast, right? Because you knew you'd work it off the rest of the day. Yes, I definitely grew up in a food-loving family. Today, it is said that Americans eat over 30 pounds of frozen dairy treats every year. Our national obsession, right? And I love National Ice Cream Month, but I love ice cream year-round. I love making ice cream and ice cream desserts in less traditional ways too. So I thought I would share my ideas for a twist on the classic cone and hopefully inspire some celebrations for National Ice Cream Month this month for you. So maybe you don't have an ice cream maker or you don't want to search for it through the garage uh, piles, right? Well, you don't have to drag it out. In fact, here is the scoop If you want to make quick, cool treats without an ice cream machine, there are two basic methods when it comes to making ice cream at home without a machine. If you have a blender or a food processor, you can make the base and then freeze the base in almost any vessel until it's solid, right? And then you puree frozen pieces of that ice cream base until they are the consistency of soft serve ice cream. I happen to love soft serve personally, so this is the way that I do it often. I also have a slightly leaner version, and I'll tell you about that. Stay tuned. Um, 
And then once you've pureed it, by the way, you can store it in an airtight container and it tends to keep its softer consistency. Now, if you don't want to use your blender or food processor for that matter, uh, you can pour the ice cream base into a, a shallow casserole dish, let's say, a wide shallow dish, but one that fits in the freezer. And when it's thoroughly frozen, uh, you can scrape it with an ice cream scoop. Personally, I like to stir during the freezing process um, and you get a soft, lovely consistency. Ice cream without a machine just takes a little bit of time and attention and I don't know, glass of Chardonnay on a Saturday afternoon. Um, Or you can take the totally easy approach and that is what I alluded to earlier, which is what I call fast frozen yogurt. It actually tastes more like gelato to me. It's rich and creamy and it's fruit based. And you might've heard me talk about it before, but it's frozen fruit, some sort of sweetener and some sort of dairy. Now you can get creative and uh, spoon in or stir in all of your favorite toppings. You could swirl in caramel or stir in chocolate chips or throw in cookie pieces once the ice cream or what is really frozen yogurt is at the consistency that you like. And the basic method is just this. You literally start with um, uh, two cups of your favorite frozen fruit. Now, you could have gone to the farmer's market at the height of the season and uh, frozen strawberries, IQF, individually quick frozen as we call it, right? You take the strawberries, cut the tops or hold the tops off, and then you put them on a baking sheet with a silicone baking mat or a piece of parchment paper, and you put that baking sheet directly in the freezer. The berries don't touch, but they all stand alone. And once they're frozen, you throw them into a resealable plastic Ziploc bag, and you've made individually quick frozen berries, probably at a far better price than the frozen berries in the supermarket. You throw those frozen berries into your food processor with enough sugar or honey or agave, and then I like a little bit of acid. I'll often put a you know, squeeze of lemon juice. Um, and I like a pinch of salt. And then the dairy is optional. You can throw in heavy cream or you could use Greek yogurt to be lean and clean. And with just those few ingredients, about three minutes later, run your food processor. You will be digging in for a nice big spoonful in no time. Now, I have been known to eat it out of the food processor and I will tell you that shamelessly. Now, fast banana ice cream, have you made it before? It's frozen bananas. You've taken ripe bananas, sliced them, and frozen them in that IQF or individually quick frozen manner I spoke about. Once they're frozen, you throw them into the food processor with a little bit of liquid. You could use milk or cream or whatever you like, a little bit of sugar, and you have fast banana ice cream. The modernist cuisine, if you remember that uh, in, incredible trend and success and genius, really. They make fast banana ice cream with just slices of frozen banana in the food processor. It too is quite delicious. Strawberry and mascarpone, one of my favorite flavors. Oh, there's so many more. Or how about making individual baked Alaskas at home? That's an impressive treat, but it's so simple. And you can prepare them ent- entirely ahead of time, right? You put pound cake on the bottom of a ramekin. Everyone gets their own dessert. Happen to love that too. And then you top the pound cake 
with a thick layer of your favorite ice cream. You thaw it a little bit so it's soft enough to spread. And then you make a simple meringue with egg whites and cream of tartar, salt, and sugar. And you beat it in your electric mixer until it stiff peaks. And you cover the ice cream layer in the ramekin with the meringue. And you put all of the ramekins in the freezer until you're ready to go. And then when you're ready for dessert, you just put your broiler on. You take the desserts directly from the freezer, put them in the top third of the oven, and two or three minutes later, the meringue is golden, but the ice cream is still frozen. And how bad could that be, right? You've got pound cake on the bottom, ice cream in the middle, and toasty meringue. I think I have to make one tonight. So here's to your next frozen treat. I hope you'll save me some. Now with that inspiration, food news this week is news you want to use. Check this out. If the thought of Girl Scout Thin Mint Cookies makes you smile, Keebler is going to make your day because they just released a box of Thin Mint Cookie-inspired ice cream cones. Yes, they will be here all summer long. The cones are dipped in dark chocolate fudge with peppermint oil in it, so it tastes supposedly similar to a Thin Mint Girl Scout cookie. And then you can fill the cone with ice cream, of course. And how bad could that be? I mean, really? Okay, I can't wait. I'll tell you how they are as soon as I can get my hands on some. Now, you wouldn't want to touch your dial because there is lots more to satiate your appetite coming up. Yes, cocktail conversation continues. I am delighted that the modern mixologist Tony Abu Ghanem is back and we're toasting with summer sippers because Tony's pouring. So stay tuned because if you're a lush, then you'll love it. Also, before the end of the hour, he is a a very well-respected children's author, also um, an author on food history and techniques, and his name is Joshua David Stein. And his newest book just released, uh, Cooking for Kids. It's so much more than you think, actually. It is a compilation of recipes from chefs around the world and what they feed their children. Super cool. I can't wait to dish with him. So stay tuned. There is lots more fabulous food coming up in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Salud, cheers, and a toast to you, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The modern mixologist is back. Cue your sun emoji, your beach emoji, that sunglass guy emoji, because summer is finally here. And we're toasting with summer sippers today because Tony Abu Ghanem is pouring. Tony, as you know, is our resident mixologist here on the show, widely regarded as a pioneer in the bar world, the author of The Modern Mixologist and Vodka Distilled, both award-winning books, and a partner in the Mandalay Bay Las Vegas gastropub hotspot, which I love, Libertine Social, and Highlands in Detroit. You've seen him win three Iron Chef competitions on the Food Network, and we're going on another cocktail journey with 
with him to arm you with a wealth of knowledge when it comes to spirits. Catching up with Tony Abu Ghanem, and I am always delighted. Hello, my friend. Hey, Jamie. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, and you too. Can you make the sound of ice or stirring or something, <laughs> Tony? Because I always feel like <laughs> that should follow you around, right? Like when someone introduces you, there, sh- there should be a shaker nearby. There is no confusing that magical sound that a shaker makes <laughs> when you're making a margarita. Isn't that glorious. true? Isn't that true? <laughs> is there a, a theme for summer sippers that you like to categorize everything by? Because there's lots of wonderful cold drinks that I think can, you know, cool you down and light up your summer, no doubt. Absolutely, Jamie. I would refer to that category of drink as long and refreshing. Oh, I like uh, it. Long, yeah. Meant to be enjoyed over a longer period of time. Um, fruity, citrusy, taking advantage of the flavors of spring and summer, and not meant to be overly boozy, but to be, like I said, enjoyed over a, a longer period of time and to refresh yes. and quench the thirst. Sure. And sometimes we're talking a little lower alcohol or more mixers, right? Because we're trying to compensate for uh, pool days and heat waves and all that good stuff. Uh, There's also a gathering of people. And as we start to venture out again, too, I personally am very delighted that the pitcher drink can come back. I love a a margarita for one or two. um, And I I shook many a martini during the pandemic. But there's something beautiful about putting out a pitcher and letting everyone tend the bar for themselves, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's that whole sense of communal yes. drinking, yes. Um, of imbibing together. Uh, the punch bowl is a perfect example of that communal style of drinking mm. where you don't have to spend the entire soiree in the kitchen or at the bar making individual drinks, but you can make a batch in advance and put that out in, in a punch bowl or in pitchers and let your guests help themselves. And, yes. and it, you know, not only is it easier on the host, but it does bring this interactive element to the experience. And that's just, you know, elevates the game and makes it a lot more fun. Yeah. And I, I love that aspect of it, the interaction. Um, share with us, if you would, a couple of pitcher drink secrets. You've told us in uh, conversations past, which I have never forgotten, that the bubbles, for instance, or carbonation should always be left on the side, right? So the basics to a pitcher drink we need to remember. Exactly. You know, one of my favorite drinks to make in a pitcher is from my book, The Modern Mixologist, and I call it a zigzag. And I only make this in the summertime when watermelon's at the peak of the season. Mm. So I'll buy a watermelon, and what, sometimes what's fun is to save the watermelon shell, just take all the meat out, press or juice that, and save the shell to actually use as a uh, punch bowl to serve the drink in. Sure, a vessel. And again, just another fun vessel, yeah, mm-hmm. to, to elevate your party experience. But that with fresh-squeezed lemon juice and either honey or agave or cane, whatever the sweetener you like, a little bit of Cointreau, your favorite citrus vodka, and make it up in advance and then refrigerate it. And remember, Jamie, that ice keeps a cold drink cold. 
one thing we're always fighting in the warmer weather is dilution. And you want a certain amount of dilution, but you don't want to, you know, water down or bruise the drink, as we used to say a long time ago. <laughs> um, so you want it to be as cold as possible and keep it out of the sun. Serve it over larger ice if, if possible because that will melt slower. Um, but, yeah, the more you can do in advance, and when I say advance, I wouldn't, especially with citrus, I wouldn't squeeze that more than the, the night before. Um, and to your point on carbonation, if I'm doing a, a sparkling pitcher drink or a punch or a sparkling sangria in a pitcher, always add whatever the carbonation is at the very last minute. Um, you know, if it's soda water, make sure that soda water is ice cold. If it's champagne or Prosecco, same thing applies. Ice cold, hold on to that bubble, celebrate the fizz, mm-hmm. uh, and just make it happy. Yeah, and it, and it is happy. In fact, uh, per your inspiration, I was mindful of the carbonation factor. And pre-pandemic, um, I hosted a small friends party. And I actually put out, it was one of your recipes. I put out the pitcher cocktail, the pitcher drink, uh, based similar to what you talked about, your zigzag. And then mm-hmm. I put a small uh, printed piece of paper on a stand and I instructed my guests to create the cocktail themselves. So they poured the pitcher drink over ice. They then finished with the bubbles and and it was like a DIY. And I liked that Mm -hmm. too, because then it really kept the, uh, the beauty and intensity of the fizz as well. And people were mixing and mingling and it, it was fun. So there's lots of ways to do it. As long as you follow proper cocktail practice, you're guaranteed a great drink. Absolutely. And to your point, Jamie, oftentimes if you make the drink in a batch format in advance, it's much easier to make it consistently, you know, so that you're not trying to measure each individual drink. Now you have a consistent batch that, to your point, ice in the glass and fun glassware, too. You can get all kinds of fun plastic glassware and colorful straws. And, you know, again, just to elevate the experience because it it has to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, But just that now you have a consistent drink. You finish it. You add a little more soda if you want to stretch it or add a little more bubble. Um, and it, it just, again, makes it easier, makes it more consistent, and the guests are left with, wow, we had such a fun time at Jamie. She made this wonderful drink, and mm-hmm. we got to get involved in making it. It just, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then they pay it forward, essentially, right? They, they create a cocktail signature at home, and it becomes sort of like a, a continued cocktail experience. The inspiration mm-hmm. is there. I remember putting out Garnish, too. There's nothing like... Tony, to me, uh, a wedge of watermelon or cubes of watermelon soaking in vodka. Mm. Yeah, there's just something delicious about it. And so I I think that cocktail needs a garnish because the the drunken fruit at the end, like I remember (laughs) sangria in Costa Rica, that's the best part. It's true, drunken fruit. I just can't get enough of it. (laughs) Take a big gulp and come on back with us. There are more summer cocktails in your radio right after this.
We're back and we're dishing. Well, actually, we're stirring and shaking it up with the modern mixologist. Tony Abu Ghanem is here. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Um, are spritzes <laughs> still popular? Well, this is just, I think they're more popular now than ever. And really? We talked about spritzes. Um, you know, that's another one of these more sessionable, lower alcohol, refreshing style of drinks right. that, you know, Hopefully by now everyone has experienced the Aperol spritz. Uh, very simple, three-ingredient Aperol, Prosecco, and soda water. But following that recipe, Jamie, and again, long and refreshing, you can use any type of liqueur, really. Generally, you want something with a little bit of bitterness and some citrus to it. You can use any sparkling wine. You can do a sparkling rosé. Any type of sparkling soda water. Um, I love the cute grapefruit soda water. It just brings this beautiful, bright citrus note mm. to the final drink. And nice. once you understand the basic recipe on these drinks, uh, you know, just experiment. Um, Campari is fantastic. Um, I like you know, Campari. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yes, that feels so european classic mm -hmm. elegance to me right oh inspire us with campari well campari is you know one of my favorites i mean anything from a simple campari and soda to a garibaldi which is campari with fresh squeezed orange juice and then you can just build on that because orange and campari love each other <laughs> i have another drink in my book called the starlight which is a long refreshing with cointreau the orange liqueur a little bit of brandy, some fresh lemon juice, and then spritz it up with uh, cute soda water. Ooh, um, okay, that sounds that sounds good to me. I'm still trying to remember which cocktail it was I made for the party pre-pandemic from your book. I'm going to have to go back and research it, but I might move <laughs> on to Campari. I I love Campari. It feels light to me. It's light. It's lower ABV. Mm. It brings that bittersweet note to the drink, and it plays so well with anything. I mean, with silver tequila and Campari as a modifier, Ooh. citrus vodka with Campari as a modifier, nice Campari with Cointreau as a you know, it's, it's just, again, uh, my mom, you know, I talk about her a lot. She's yes. a great uh, cook. Mm. And she always said, never trust a skinny chef, Tony. You got to taste everything. <laughs> Things that you like to drink, you'll just understand. You know, we talk about basic recipes all the time and understanding two parts strong, one part sweet, one part sour. Um, once you understand those basic recipes, then you just have fun and yeah. put things that are in season and Mother Nature gives you with things you like to eat or drink, and chances are you're going to come up with a really good, refreshing, long hmm. uh, cocktail. Now, that's what makes a signature cocktail. Like, I think every household should have a signature white wine and red wine. Whether you have a mm -hmm. fancy wine cellar or a downstairs coat closet, uh, you know, I think that great cooks should find wines that pair with the style of food that they enjoy making, and that becomes your house wine. And I think that every great cook and a mixologist and cocktail lover should have a signature cocktail. And maybe it changes with the season, but what you just spoke to is really finding your own cocktail way, right? Say it again, two parts strong. One part sweet, one part sour. Okay. It's the basic recipe for, let's take a Tom Collins, which is a perfect uh, recipe to have fun with. Two parts gin, one part simple syrup, one part fresh lemon juice, mm -hmm. and then you spritz that with soda water. 
But, you know, all of a sudden I, I've got fresh raspberries in my refrigerator, so I muddle some of those in, shake it with the lemon and the simple and the gin, strain that, and spritz it with soda water, and I've got that house signature drink you're talking about mm. that's a simple twist on a classic Collins. Love it. Two parts strong, one part sweet, one part sour. I'm going to be singing that in the car later. (laughs) I am. Um, Okay, talk swizzles, please, before we close out the category. Um, Because for summer long and refreshing, I had a swizzle experience with you. Sounds dirty. Um, It wasn't. I mean, it was super fun, though. Um, At Libertine Social in Vegas, I remember sitting and swizzling with you with friends. And by the way, it is a show. There is something so dramatic and wonderful about it, but it's becoming um, more common, right? And this is not a swizzle stick we're talking about. We're not talking about a sugar cane or a lemongrass. We're actually talking about a cocktail category called swizzles. Yeah, I love the swizzles. And it's something they do a lot of in the Caribbean where these tubers grow. They're called swizzle stick trees. And they trim them when they're young, and they have the root cluster that has uh, five forks. And they swizzle everything in the Caribbean, hot chocolate, cocktails, over-crushed ice, that same recipe we just talked about. Two parts strong, one part sweet, one part sour. So it's usually a, a raw sugar syrup with lime juice with some type of aged rum. Mm. You can incorporate bitters. You can incorporate mint like they do at the Queens Park Swizzle from Trinidad. Uh, but always over crushed ice in a tall Collins glass. And you put the swizzle in the glass with the crushed ice and you swizzle it between the palms of your hands and the rum interacts with the crushed ice and the thin Collins glass and it starts to get all frosty. And then you put a big bonnet of fresh mint from your garden on top mm. uh, as a garnish. Put Beautiful. a straw in there, give it to your friends and they're going to greet you with a big smile every time. Yeah, no doubt you're going to be a cocktail hero. <laughs> the swizzle itself is the tool. It doesn't impart anything, but its act of um, of mixing, right, is its yes. specialty. Yes. it's uh, Hence the name of the category of drinks, swizzles, comes from the preparation technique right. of swizzling with the swizzle stick. Yeah, I love Not this. to be confused with what we have at bars stir a drink with, but that was inspired by the tuber grows in the Caribbean sure. and they swizzle cocktails with it. Sure. And I remember at Libertine Social thinking it's so cold and so well blended mm. and all those flavors that come together. It really yeah. is. It's a cocktail method to master. And I love that. Yeah. All right. I am thinking that summer is going to be sensationally full of sippers now because of you. So thank you. I'll be um, out in my backyard. Should you come by, do not knock on the front door. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be out there swizzling. Um, before I let you go, though, um, you have a very big event coming up, one that I always love to share um, because it's a, a very big deal in um, the spirits world. And you've been involved in different capacities, right? Um, mm-hmm. in, in years past, but talk about big names. Uh, you, alongside uh, David and Julio, uh, this, is, this is really thirst-quenching stuff. Yes, we're launching the inaugural TAG Global Spirits Awards here in Las Vegas at Mandalay Bay, October 27th through the 30th. At the base of it, Jamie, 
Academy is a global spirits competition. Mm. We're anticipating up to 3,000 spirit awards or entries from around the world. Wow. Um, but in addition to that, I was, I've always, you know, I did San Francisco World Spirits Competition for 20 years, the last right. 11 as head of judging. But that's I what I was, like, Tony, that's what I was referencing. I mean, I love these competitions that you judge because it brings, uh, cocktails and mixology to the forefront. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I was an, uh, honored, like I said, to be the director of judges there. But I always thought that what was missing was the end user, the enthusiast, the consumer who wants to meet and mingle with Dave Wondrich, with Dale DeGroff, mm-hmm. with Salvador Calabresi, with Angus Winchester, with Bridget Albert, with Charlotte Boise, with all these names in this industry that they read about and they you know hear about but they never get a chance to interact with so So we've incorporated a consumer enthusiast element through some education tracks that go along with the competition awesome there's four spirited dinners being held at mandalay bay there's the welcome reception and on saturday night is the pink tie gala Hmm. which all the best of show orders will be named but also all the supplier partners, sponsors will have tables, and all the proceeds will benefit my charity, the Helen David Relief Fund, which, as you know, benefits bartenders and their families who are going through breast cancer. Right, and kudos to you. Thank you, because you've made a difference for so long now, and you continue to do so. Tony Abu Ghanim is widely regarded, no doubt, as one of the best in the business. This is a mixologist you want to learn from and grow from. So check it out. His award-winning books, The Modern Mixologist and Vodka Distilled, along um, with his tools, which I love to use on my bar, and more, uh, heavenly inspiration, can be found at themodernmixologist.com. And you can follow him on social at M-D-R-N, modern M-D-R-N mixologist, of course. Tony, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers to you and thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Have a good... And to you too. There's lots more to refresh your thirst and feed your soul and fill your tummy. (laughs) Right after this, the delicious conversation continues. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. This is where informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation abounds. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. As seen on CNN, loved by critics, and set to release at the end of this month, there's a new cookbook for families featuring real-life recipes from great chefs in 30 countries around the world. It's what they cook for their kids. So cool, right? And moms like me and daddies too are getting a glimpse of what parents that double as professional chefs serve to their children. And I love this book. It's also for the culinary curious, because let me tell you, the recipes are inspired and fabulous. And I am delighted that Joshua David Stein is here to dish. He is a restaurant critic, a food journalist, a children's book author, and an editor, in fact. He has co-written food books and children's books, and he is a contributing editor 
to Fatherly, the leading digital media brand for dads. And he joins us live from Brooklyn. I'm so glad to have you, Joshua. Welcome. This had to be a really fun project. It was a fun project. <laughs> um, it's also a project that was born out of necessity because I have two <laughs> young sons who are seven and nine. And um, as much as I love food and I love to cook, they would not eat anything I made. <laughs> and I got tired of ordering um yeah, and it's smart, but you dug a little deeper, and I love that. I love the personal stories from these best-known chefs. And you can tell, for all of us that love food, they share love through food for their children, which are definitely the most discerning diners, right? You talk about backlash with your kids. My son is too young for backlash. He'll he'll eat anything right now, but I know the time is coming. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of my, my take on it a little bit is that a lot of it has to do with food, but so much of it also has to do with the dynamics of the relationship outside of what's actually on the plate. I think for me, food became, with my older son in particular, um, a place for him to assert his independence, um, which, of course, you know, I want him to be independent, but I also want him to be fed. Right. And <laughs> that causes a lot of um, <laughs> tension. Yes. And I think that what was interesting about, you mentioned those other side stories, that they come across in the head notes and the sidebars of the book, is that I'm not alone in struggling with that, and even the world's greatest chefs also struggle with that. And I guess, see, that that's kind of normal, and they're not, it's not so personal to have those kind of struggles. Sure. I, th- I think it's a wonderful reality check, and there is um, certainly a way to relate in all of it, right? I, there, there's an empathy in it. Um, I feel your pain because, I, as I mentioned, I, I know it's coming. Um, but to read from the best chefs in the world, I have a very dear chef friend who's very high up. And I speak about him often. Um, but he used to talk about how his kid would only eat peanut butter and jelly. So he yeah. searched out like the best peanut butter anywhere, right? And he made homemade jelly because he was committed to the fact that if this is all you're going to eat, at least I'm going to make it gourmet. Now, um, there is a, a moose boil up and a kangaroo yeah. tail recipe. Yeah, I, I might not make those for dinner. Albeit, I'm very impressed that those chefs are feeding their kids well, but I can't wait to make the roast chicken with noodles in Asian style from the UK chefs. Yeah, I think um, the recipes are from around the world. So naturally, um, it was the Australian chef with the kangaroo tail, which you can substitute oxtail. Yes. If you are interested. Thank you. And the moose boil up is from a Newfoundland chef, uh, Jeremy Charles. Mm-hmm. And that was something that he makes for his daughter after he goes hunting. Um, but it's a way for him to use that um, that protein or that animal, really, and mm. teach his family about what it means to hunt. So, you know, there's lessons sort of embedded in all of these dishes. Yes. And there are for civilian parents, too, of course. There is a beauty to cooking for and with your kids, and you have um, you have compiled all of it, and between two hard covers, front and back, really created a, a beautiful compilation of recipes that we would never otherwise uh, been able uh, well, to try and taste and share. So thank you. Well, you said something that I really liked. You said 
I felt good about myself when you read that head note. And yes. To me, that's like basically how I, that's what I want parents mm. to have a hard time. And being a parent's hard. It is. Um, no I doubt. want them to read this, get, there's a hundred wonderful recipes for their kids, but also I hope there's validation and support. Mm. Well, you've done so. So kudos to you. Another successful book from author Joshua David Stein. It is called Cooking for Your Kids, and you can pre-order now on Amazon. It is already a buzz, and the book is just beautifully put together. It's called Cooking for Your Kids. The author, once again, Joshua David Stein. Check it out. And of course, you can follow Joshua and his daily kid escapades uh, uh, on Instagram at Joshua David Stein. Joshua, it was a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your passion. And once again, congrats. Thank you so much. I yes. appreciate it. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. Thank you for showing your great taste by tuning in. I am always delivering the world of food directly to your radio every weekend, but don't turn your dial yet because I'd love to leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for this weekend. Have you noticed how the popularity continues for everything bagel seasoning? In fact, people are putting it on everything. In fact, you're finding it uh, on restaurant menus more and more, and I happen to love it. I use everything bagel seasoning on my scrambled eggs in the morning. I've been known to season uh, things from the air fryer, like uh, I do sliced sweet potatoes, and the sweetness with the saltiness of the everything bagel seasoning is just so good. Great side dish, by the way. You can make your own, though. It's uh, certainly easily available at the grocery store near you, but why not make a batch? It's good on more than just bagels. You're going to combine poppy seeds, sesame seeds, dried minced garlic, dried minced onion, and kosher salt. And I will share the recipe, of course, the method, the ingredients, the actual measurements on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram now at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please become a fan and a friend and steal my recipe and then sprinkle your homemade everything seasoning on popcorn or french fries. Oh yes, so good. I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more to feed your soul. Thank you once again for listening. Please stay healthy. And until we meet again, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen and I hope you continue to eat well. Well, 